Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you can, we invite you to turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3 as John begins today's message, A Biblical Perspective on Money. When we think about money, there are two extremes that, that we could look at. There's one group within the umbrella of Christianity that preaches and teaches what they call the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is God wants you to be rich, big house, big cars, lots of money in the bank, nice clothes. God wants you to prosper financially, and they call that the prosperity gospel. Now, listen very carefully. You say, John, do you believe in the prosperity gospel? Listen very, very carefully. There's only one gospel, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And if we repent of our sins and trust Him, we can be saved. That is the gospel. So do I believe in the prosperity gospel? I'm very clear on this. N-O. No. I do not believe in the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is one extreme in the world of Christianity. Now, there's another extreme that so badly doesn't want to be identified with, quote, the prosperity gospel that has gone to the other extreme. You know, the, the world in which we live is a world of extremism. Politics, extremism. Theology, extremism. And really the truth is often somewhere in the, in the balance and in the middle of the extremes. The other extreme says, I so badly am turned off by the prosperity gospel that I don't believe God really wants to prosper us. Well, here's how I would say that. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel But I do believe that God wants to prosper us. And the reason I believe that God wants to prosper us is because I believe the Bible. And if you believe the Bible, you, by definition, must also believe that God wants to prosper us. Now, I want to give you three verses. You might want to jot these down. First of all, Psalm 35 and verse 27. It says, let the Lord be magnified. Now, listen to this. Who takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. God takes pleasure in our prosperity, Psalm 35 and in verse number 27. Another verse, Psalm 1, verse 3. In Psalm 1, we're reading about a righteous person. It's talking about a righteous man, but it certainly could be a righteous woman. And at the end of verse 3, here's what it says, whatever he does shall prosper. So God says, if you're a righteous person, you can expect prosperity in your life. Third verse, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. God, after Moses died, is giving Joshua instructions about leading the children of Israel into the promised land. And here's what God said, Joshua 1.8. He said, Joshua, meditate on the Word of God day and night. Do not let this book depart from your heart. He said, if you'll do that, you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. 
And so God wants to prosper. It's not the prosperity gospel, but it is that God wants to bless us. God wants to prosper us. God is interested in our welfare, and God is interested in our well-being. Which leads to this question. What do we mean by prosperity? What, what, is, what is, when we say God wants to prosper us, what is prosperity? Does it mean we're all supposed to be loaded with, with millions of dollars and live in big houses and drive a new car every six months or every year? Is that what it means? No, that's not what it means. Adrian Rogers defined prosperity this way. It is when God is meeting your needs and you are enjoying His blessings. That's prosperity. When God is meeting your needs and you're enjoying His blessings. Now, God could be meeting your needs... And maybe you're not enjoying his blessings, so really you're not experiencing the fullness of prosperity. And so it's both when God meets your needs and when you are enjoying his blessings. And so I would say this, I don't have a new car every six months or a year. I don't have millions of dollars in the bank, but I would say this, I'm prosperous because God has met every need that I've ever had. I can't think today of a single need that I've ever had that God hasn't met. And if I came up with one, I would just know this. God's in the process of meeting that need at the right time and in the right way. God's met all my needs. He promises to do that. And I'm enjoying his blessings. And so I am very prosperous today and I'm very blessed in my life. So what I want to do in this message this morning is give you seven steps to financial freedom And seven steps, it's the same seven steps, to financial blessing. I'm only going to develop the first two of these today, but just so we can get it all in one sermon, I want to just mention all seven of these things, and then we'll come back and we'll develop the first two. Number one, here's how to be financially free. Work, but don't overwork. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. Number two, tithe, and we'll develop that. Number three thing, now numbers three through seven, I'm going to mention them and make some brief comments on them. Here's how to honor God with your finances and to be financially blessed. Number three, pay off your debts. If you do any reading on the whole idea of debt, you're going to learn that more than 75% of American households are in debt. When you add up what they owe for a car, what their mortgage is, Uh, student loans, credit card debt is a real problem. In fact, uh, 45% of Americans carry a balance on their credit card. And you know that the interest on credit cards is ridiculously high, averaging somewhere over 17%. And yet 45% of Americans don't pay the balance on their credit card each month. They just pay the minimum and they carry it over. And the scary thing here is the average American has $14,000 in credit card debt. When you add up the average household debt, and this does include a mortgage, I personally don't even consider a mortgage, uh, I mean it is technically debt, but if you weren't paying for a house, you'd be paying for an apartment, and so, you know, it's how you look at that, but the average household has a debt of over $155,000, and so I encourage you, if you, and if if let's just say this room, this gathering of people today is representative of what's happening in our country, and let's just say, play like that 75% of the people in this room today are in debt. The 
Bible says to you and to anybody in that situation, and I'm saying today to develop a plan to try your best to pay off those debts as quickly as you can. Dave Ramsey, the great financial advisor who has spoken at our church, he says when a person is in debt, what they should do is identify and categorize those debts and then begin paying their debts off by paying the, the smallest one first. So if you owe $2,000 on your credit card and $12,000 on your car and $150,000 on your house, Dave would say pay that credit card debt off first. And then don't get in that debt anymore. And then address the car debt. And then come up with a plan. If you've got a 30-year or 15-year mortgage, try to pay that debt off in half the time so that you won't even have to carry and worry about that particular debt. But pay off your debts. Number four thing. Remember, Jesus wants us to be free. And first of all, spiritually free mentally free, but he also wants us to be financially free. He doesn't want us to be in financial bondage. Number four thing, to be financially free, save and invest. The average American has less than $600 in savings. Now, that means if your air conditioning goes out, you're going to have to borrow money to pay for your air conditioning, which just compounds the problem. And so if a person has $600 saved, and their air goes out, their washing machine goes out, their refrigerator goes out, they're in a situation that things are going to just get worse and not better. And so there has to be some kind of a savings plan. I would encourage you, and financial advisors would certainly encourage you, to set up a budget and to try to save somewhere between 10 and 20% of however much money you make. Put that in a savings account, get a however much you feel like you need in the bank, and then invest that money in the market. I believe I read that since 1997, the stock market has averaged about 10% a year. Now, it's up and down, but on the average, it's done that. So save some money and invest some money and make it as a goal to, to save and invest somewhere between 10 and 20%. Number five, the way to be financially free, give some money away. Give some money away. Now, you're in Proverbs. Go to chapter number 11. We'll look at a couple of verses here. We need to be givers, not just tithing. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But we need to be givers, givers to causes. We, my dad's talking about the Salvation Army. We need to be giving to family members or friends who might be struggling. We need to be, we should be known as generous people, not tight-fisted, stingy, cheap people. Now, in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 24, it says, There's one who scatters, yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than what is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Think about that. The generous soul will be made rich. Say that with me. The generous soul will be made rich. There's a Bible, there's a teaching in Scripture that the more we give, the more we receive. And so God wants us to take and receive what he gives to us and then not to do this and hoard it all, but to have open hands and open hearts and to look for opportunities to share that and to give that away. Number six thing that we should do to be financially free, learn to be satisfied with less. There was a man who didn't have very much, and he was talking one day to another man who had a lot. And the poorer man said to the richer man, I'm better off than you are. <laughs> and the rich man who had a little pride going with his money 
He said, what do you mean you're better off than I am? He, he said, oh, I'm better off than you are. And the man said, you know, there's no way you're better off than I am. He said, look where I live, look where you live. Look what I drive, look what you drive. Look what I wear, look what you wear. Look what I have, look what you have. There's no way that you're better off than I am. He said, oh, I'm better off than you are. He said, how do you figure that? He said, because I'm satisfied with what I have and you're not. I'm happy with what I have. What you have is bigger and newer and more expensive and even better. But I'm satisfied with something smaller and older and less. Because I've, so contentment is, is an inside thing, and we don't have to have more to be satisfied. If we can learn to be satisfied with less, then we will be financially free. And so that's very important. And then number seven, hold things loosely. Hold things loosely. Hold God tightly and hold the people you love tightly. And so, look, everything we have eventually is going to be separated from us. You could have a billion dollars in the bank. Upon your death, that is no longer yours. (laughs) And so one day, either you're going to leave that or that somehow will manage to leave you. But just learn to hold things loosely because it just doesn't matter. Hold God tightly and hold your loved ones tightly. But don't hold money. Don't be... Don't be that way with money. Like I said last week, God doesn't want us to be proud and arrogant and, you know, big egos. God wants us to be humble. God wants us to be teachable. God wants us to apologize and say we're wrong and things like that. Well, when it comes to money, God doesn't want us to be hoarders or greedy or all about money. No, God wants us to have what we need, but God wants us to hold things loosely. Now, those are the seven ways that you can honor God with your finances. Now, what I want to do in the remainder of the time here today, which is not much, but I want to go back and focus on the first two things on my little list there. And number one is work, but don't overwork. When we were working on our booklet here, I was amazed at how much the Bible has to say about hard work. It, it, it commends that. And how much the Bible has to say about laziness. It condemns that. Now, you're in Proverbs. Go to chapter number 10. And I want to read out of this book here because I've got the verses marked from my preferable different translations. And so I think it'd be better for me to read it out of this. But in your Bible, look up chapter 10 and verse number 4. And here's what it says. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. And so there we see laziness is condemned and hard work is uh, esteemed. Go to chapter number 12. This is another tremendous verse about hard work, comparing it to laziness. And in verse number 11, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Chapter 13 and verse number 4, lazy people want much but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. And so the teaching is, if you work, you're going to prosper. You're going to be blessed. If you're lazy, the opposite will happen. And then chapter 14, and in verse number 23, another tremendous verse, 1423. In all labor there's profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. And so the Bible is clearly teaching us here the importance of working hard. Let me give you a verse from the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 10. The Bible says, if a person will not work, neither let him eat. And so one reason I work is I like to eat. And uh, I know you do too. And so that's our motivation for working. I think sometimes we have the idea that work 
is a punishment for sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and one of the punishments of that is work. Friend, that's not true. Adam was working in that garden before sin ever entered the world. The difference is, before sin entered the world, the work was easy. And after sin entered the world, the work got harder. But work never was a punishment for sin. Work is something God has given us so that we can have a sense of accomplishment and so that we can... uh, so that we can feel like we're contributing to society. Now, when I was writing this, I want to just make, I don't have time to develop this, but I want to make, read to you two sentences that I wrote down as recently as yesterday. Number one, if a person cannot work, they're physically unable to work, or for some reason they just say, I, I'm trying my best, but in all honesty, I cannot find a job. If a person cannot work, society owes it, the government owes it to that person to help that person out if they cannot work, especially if they are physically disabled. But statement number two, if a person can work and chooses not to work because they don't want to work, shame on them and the government doesn't owe them anything. That's what the Scripture is saying in in 2 Thessalonians. If a man won't work, neither let him eat. And so we should be workers. You should be known as a hard worker and not as a lazy person. Now, we're thinking about working, and I want to make sure that I make this point too. Work, but don't overwork. Now, go to Proverbs chapter 23. I want to show you. This is what I love about the Bible, the wonderful balance of the Bible. The truth is always balanced, and biblical truth is certainly that way. In Proverbs chapter 23, and look, look in verse number four, the Bible says, do not overwork to be rich, because if your own understanding cease, will you not set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, they fly away like an eagle toward heaven. And so the Bible is saying here, yes, we should work. We should put in an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Absolutely we should. But we should not overwork. There is such a thing as as working too much and pursuing money too uh, passionately. And so I would encourage you to be a hard worker, but don't overwork. Some people say, you know what you ought to do? As long as you make it honestly, you ought to make as much money as you can possibly make. Have you ever heard that? That's something you might hear somebody say at a graduation service uh, ceremony to the graduates. Listen, when you go through life... As long as you can make it honestly, make all the money you can make. Friend, that's horrible advice. Because if you're making all the money that you can make, that means you're going to be making money when you ought to be doing other things. You're going to be making money when you ought to be at church. You're going to be making money when you ought to be having a quiet time. You're going to be making money when you ought to be with your family. You're going to be making money when you ought to be sleeping and resting. And so the whole idea, as long as you can make it honestly, make as much money as you can make, is bad advice. Because God doesn't want us to overwork to get rich. He wants our lives to be balanced, and He wants us to tend to our other responsibilities. And so work, but don't overwork. And then the second thing, and and the reason I read that list, those seven things, I think in order to be financially free, we have to do all those things. But the beginning and the most important points are these first two. Work, but don't overwork. You know, if you work somewhere where you get extra for working overtime, that's, there's nothing wrong with working overtime, but I don't think you should necessarily work all the overtime that you can work if it means you're going to neglect other things. But the second step is to tithe. Now, go back to Proverbs chapter number three. Here's, I mean, all, all the way through Scripture, we could read verses on tithing, but we're in Proverbs, and so let's just stay there. In Proverbs chapter three and verse number nine, 
Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, we read about tithing. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, and your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. And so the teaching of Scripture is this. If you make $100 a day and you work five days a week, you made $500 last week. When you come to church on Sunday, you should tithe and give. The word tithe is a Hebrew word that means 10%. And so when you come to church on Sunday, you should come giving an offering of $50. However much you make, you are to tithe, and I am to tithe on that. Now, some people say, well, John, I, I believe that. I know that's in the Bible, and I know it's the right thing to do, but I just can't afford to tithe. Well, friend, let me say that from the other angle today. You can't afford not to tithe. Because if you say, I can't afford to tithe, therefore I'm not going to tithe, here's what you're saying. You're saying, I, financially speaking, I am better off with 100% of my money on my own than I would be with 90% of the money and the blessings of God on my life. Now, I'd rather have 90% and live under an open heaven where God is blessing me than have 100% heaven's closed. God describes me as a thief. Malachi chapter 3, he's, God says, if you don't tithe, you're a thief. So I would rather live giving God the tithe, living under an open heaven, knowing that God's going to more than make that up to me, than trying to hoard it and keep it to myself. First Chronicles 29, 14, everything we have, we receive from God. So when we tithe, we're acknowledging the source of our blessing. You say, well, John, God didn't give me that money. I went out and worked, and I made that money. Well, let me ask you this, strong fellow. Who gave you the strength to get up and go do that job? Who gave you the, the vision to see? Who gave you the legs to walk? Who gave you the strength to do that? God did. And so when you tithe, you're just acknowledging that it came from God. And number two, what you're saying when you tithe, God, not only do I acknowledge this came from you and I'm giving a tenth of it back to you, what, what you're saying is, God, I just want to be clear on this. You are more important to me than money. You're more important to me than money. And so I encourage you to be a tither. I want to show you one other passage, then we'll stop. Go to Luke chapter 12. Because Jesus had a lot to say about money. He really did. In his teachings, he had a great deal to say about money. And in Luke chapter 12, it's one of the most interesting stories that Jesus uh, ever told. Beginning in verse number 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, Jesus said to him, Man, who made you a judge or an arbitrator over you? Who made me that? And Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have many good, many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose things will, will this be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself 
and is not rich toward God. This man had built all these barns and put all of his belongings in these barns. And he thought, man, I've got so much in these barns, I'll never need anything. I'm financially free. God said to him, no, what you are is a fool. Because what you don't know is tonight you're going to die. And upon your death, your soul will be required of you. In another place, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I encourage you in your financial life to honor God. If you seek to honor God in your finances, I'll tell you what he'll do. He'll honor you. He'll bless you. He'll prosper you. And that's how God would have us to live our lives. Amen. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find John's message, A Biblical Perspective on Money, along with many others, under the broadcast tab on our website, peacebybelieving.org. We would love for you to keep up with us on social media. Just search for Peace by Believing Ministries. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.